Today's 12-stone message for Super Bowl Sunday is entitled, Endure Adversity. Sean Myers, Cameron Glasper, Steve Walton, and Kevin Myers will deliver this teaching. Please enjoy. Welcome to the 12-stone church <laughs> Super Bowl pregame show. If you're just joining us, I'm your co-host, Travis Billman. And I'm Matt Mangum, and in light of the cultural phenomenon that is the Super Bowl, we're bringing you a brand new teaching format for today's Super Bowl Sunday, D-Day plus 365. That's right. We have, uh, <laughs> really can't get, get over it. I really can't. can't get over it. Uh, that's right. We have four communicators broken up into four quarters today for our teaching, and here they are to introduce themselves. Sean Myers, Indiana Wesleyan University, and I'm a fan of the Detroit Lions. Unfortunately. Cameron Glasper, Art Institute of Atlanta, Falcons fan. Rise up! Steve Walton, the University of Georgia, 2019 national champions. Kevin Myers, Indiana Wesleyan University. I'm a fan of the Patriots losing. Hallelujah! That's right. <laughs> we are very excited about the four communicators that we have for you today. And in a moment, we're going to jump right into hearing a little bit more about our first quarter communicator, Sean Myers. But before we do that, we wanted to take a moment and check back in with the Awesome Bowl. That's right. In case you missed it earlier, Travis and I put together our own version of the Puppy Bowl called the Awesome Bowl. And when I called Travis to organize it, he thought I said Possum Bowl. Common mistake. Well, as we get ready for kickoff, why don't we take a closer look at our first quarter communicator, Sean Myers. Yeah, Sean is a veteran here at 12 Stone. He was drafted onto the team in 2008, and although he's the nephew of our senior pastor, Kevin Myers, some might say he was born for this. That's right. And as a lifelong Detroit Lions fan, he is well-versed in the concept of adversity, which is what we're going to dive into, uh, because he's had to deal with decades of losses from his Detroit Lions. I can only imagine that the Falcons loss in the Super Bowl had zero effect mm. on Sean's calloused Lions heart. My heart, on the other hand, was ripped out of my chest, torn into pieces, and left in an alleyway for dead. Wow, that really cut you deep. It really did, Travis. It... So as we prepare for kickoff, why don't you grab your Bible, your notes, and a pen, and let's turn our attention to Sean Myers as he leads off the first quarter of Super Bowl Sunday. Again, welcome to 12 Stone on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, it hasn't always been easy growing up as a Detroit Lions fan, I can say that. We faced a lot of adversity, and it usually comes on the tail end of a bad joke. For example, how do the Detroit Lions count to 10? 
Yeah, you get it. How many Detroit Lions does it take to win a Super Bowl? We don't know and we never will. It's just, it's been sad. We're only one of four teams that have never made it to the Super Bowl, which leaves me asking the question, uh, what is the difference? What's the difference between great teams like the New England Patriots and teams like the Detroit Lions? One word, cheating. That's right. It's never going to get old. Never going to get old. Uh, In all seriousness, no, in all seriousness, one word, adversity, right? And we're all going to face adversity in our life. doesn't matter who you are, what team you root for. It is going to show up. So what's the difference between winning teams and losing teams? The difference is winners find a way to face adversity and overcome it rather than letting adversity overcome them. And we have to figure that out in our own lives, so to speak, because adversity is going to show up in our lives, whether it's in your finances, your family, your faith, your fitness, whether it's work, whether it's business, school, whatever it is, adversity is going to show up in your life, and we have to learn how to get through it together. So as we look at adversity today, we wanted to take an opportunity to get a clear perspective of what we're talking about in the subject. So what is adversity? They'll throw it on the screen. I'll read it for you. Adversity is any circumstance any person, any sin, any crippling character flaw that threatens the completion of God's purpose for your life. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to go after adversity. And today, through the next four quarters, we're going to have James, the brother of Jesus, coach us throughout it. So you grabbed your Bibles, open them up. We're going to go to the book of James. It's page 1216, 1216 in your worship center Bibles. Go ahead and open them up. We're going to be starting in verse 2 together. But as you're turning there, uh, let's get some uh, understanding of what we're jumping into. See, James is writing this letter to groups of Christians that have scattered around the area. And they've scattered because they're facing adversity in their faith. And, and And James is hoping that through this letter, he can encourage them and right size their perspective. Because there is something that James knows about adversity that we need to know today. And it's in your notes. You can write it down. They'll put it on the screen. Here it is. Adversity tests perspective. That's what it does to our lives. And so let's jump in and see what James would coach us through in this first quarter. Starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I've always had a problem reading this with the words of considerate pure joy because you know as well as I do that when adversity shows up in your marriage, when it shows up in your circumstances and parenting, it is hard to consider it pure joy in that moment. I mean, James is writing this letter just because they're facing adversity. How could they possibly consider it pure joy? So for us to understand why James would choose these words, we have to understand what he means by the word consider. Other translations have it as count, Uh, but when you go back to the original Greek in which it was written, it's a financial term, and here's what it means. It means to evaluate or gain perspective. And here's what James knows. Not only does adversity test our perspective, he knows that overcoming adversity begins with having the right perspective. In football, you might call it the winning mentality, right? If you believe you can win, you can. If you believe you can't win, you what? You you can't. James knows that in our lives, our outlook determines 
the outcome. And that is true in our faith as well. Over the past three years, I have had the opportunity and really the honor of leading our Buford campus at 12 Stone. We've been setting up and tearing down uh, for three years now, excited to be over that and done with it. We've got a building coming in the fall, super exciting. Uh, But I'll tell you what, it it tests your faith when you face the adversity of setting up and tearing down every single day. I mean, it is hard to consider anything pure joy at 4.30 in the morning. It is just hard. And we've been walking through that, but I'll tell you what, God has been building things inside of our church as we're doing that at Buford and Bethlehem. He's been building things inside of me as well. But something I realized uh, through this journey is that I realized that real adversity does not show up in our lives to test what you're doing. Real adversity shows up to test who you are. See, your purpose in life is not to do something. Your purpose in life is to become someone. It's to become like Jesus. And we have to have that perspective in our life. And when we do, we can walk into adversity with a winning mentality. In fact, it leads us to the first quarter insight that James has for us. You can write it down in your notes. It's this. We lose perspective when we lose sight of the promises of God. Now, I wonder for you and I, if if there's not a promise of God that we often lose sight of and we lose perspective because of it when we face adversity. In fact, I want to remind you of it. They're going to throw it on the screen and I'll read it for us. This is a promise from God in John chapter 19, verse 30. Uh, And it says this, Jesus said, it is finished, period. And this point of scripture is Jesus on the cross giving his life up for you and I and he says, it is finished, And I wonder how many of us in our lives, we look at this scripture and we sometimes live it out and put a question mark where God put a period. See, when adversity shows up in our lives, many of us, we look at God and we say, God, why is this happening to me? And James would press in and say, no, 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 that's the wrong perspective. See, it is finished, period. Don't put a question mark where God put a period. See, Jesus took on the greatest adversity we could ever face in our lives in sin. And he defeated it for us on the cross, through his death, through his bloodshed. And James is trying to remind us, this is the right perspective. See, we don't persevere in our faith so that we can be saved. We persevere in faith because we're already saved through Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about in our faith. And so James is pushing in and saying, do you believe it is actually finished? Because when you know this, you should live your life like you know Jesus has already defeated everything. See, there's nothing in this world that can be thrown at us that Jesus hasn't already defeated. And that's why we can consider it pure joy. So practically speaking, what does this look like? What does this look like for our lives and our faith when we face adversity? Instead of asking the question, God, why is this happening to me? Ask the question, God, what are you trying to build in me? And we're going to discover more about that in the second quarter. All right, and that's the end of our first quarter. What a great job by Sean Myers laying the groundwork for winning today on the topic of adversity. Now Sean's going to hand the ball off to our second quarter speaker, Cameron Glasper. 
That's right. Now, Cameron is officially a rookie here at 12 Stone Church as he was recently hired just this year to be one of our central campus worship pastors. Uh, however, we've been scouting him for years as he is homegrown from right here in Gwinnett County. That's right. And although he is a rookie, you may think this stage is too big for Cameron, but he's been commanding this stage for years in worship. So this is an easy next step for him. That's right. And I personally believe that if he can turn a little bit of this into a little bit of this, He's gonna bring us some great momentum heading into halftime. That's right, so let's jump into quarter two with Cameron. I don't even, hey, thank you. Um, now, I don't remember shooting that at all. Um, I think they just filmed me in the bathroom, which is kind of weird, but uh, anyway, yes, I am Cameron and I'm here to talk second quarter with you guys. Now, um, before we get started, I just want to make one thing clear. Uh, I'm representing my team, okay? The Atlanta Falcons, that's right. Falcons fans rise up. See, I, I don't care about Tom Brady and, and his little Patriots and his little Super Bowl rings and his Ugg boots. I don't know, I think he wears Ugg boots. Um, I don't care, because it's about the Atlanta Falcons, okay? Now, I did, however, find it pretty ironic when I heard that I was going to be speaking for the second quarter, uh, because as Falcons fans, as we know and know all too well, the second quarter is usually uh, our last bit of happiness before <laughs> things just kind of get out of hand. Um, I don't know what happens in that locker room at halftime, but I think we need an investigation, don't, don't you? I mean, what is going on in there? Uh, are they eating a big lunch? Did they get full? Uh, are they watching sad movies like Bambi or Old Yellow? Like, I don't know. I'm not sure what's really going on, but it needs to be fixed, okay? Um, but before I get off topic, we're not here to talk Falcons. We are here to talk adversity. So let's do that. Now, in the first quarter, Sean laid it out for us that when we're facing adversity, our attitude and our perspective can change our outcome. And he even read in the book of James that we are to consider it pure joy when we're facing adversity. Now, I don't know about you, but when my team is facing adversity and stinking it up and blowing a 25-point lead to a team that shall forever remain nameless, um, I'm still healing. I'm still, uh, I'm still healing through that, as you can see. My therapist says I'm making great strides. Um, I, I don't know how to have joy in the midst of that, but I do think it's possible for us to have joy in our lives when we're facing adversity. So let's talk about how, okay? Now, in James, we read that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, right? Now, in verse 4, where we're going to pick up for the second quarter, we see what perseverance produces in us. Let's read it together. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, mature and complete, that simply means growth. See, adversity is here. The purpose of adversity is so that we may grow spiritually mature. See, it's, we, we see it all throughout Scripture, right, that, that God uses adversity to grow us, to change us, to, to mature us for the work that, lay ahead, that lays ahead for us. See, I like to think of it this way, that, that God uses adversity for our advantage. If you're taking notes, that's the first feeling of Blake, that God uses adversity for our advantage. See, if we want to grow in spiritual maturity, we have to grow through adversity, we have to. It's the primary way God has chosen to grow his disciples. You see, and we see it throughout Scripture, where there are people of God facing hard, tough adversity. And it seemed like God would just allow it to continue. But it was simply for the purpose to grow them, to mature them, to groom them 
for the future plans that waited for them. You see, it wasn't done out of cruelty. It was done out of love. So when we know that, when we know that truth, that adversity is here for our advantage, that's how we can have joy in the midst of it. Because now we know its purpose, spiritual growth and maturity. Now, when we're speaking about maturity, we know that maturity is not defined by age. Like, we, we know this, right? We get that, right? We all know some 30 and 40 and 50-year-old kids, right? Some, and, and don't point at them if you're sitting beside them. Don't look at them. <laughs> look at me. Look straight ahead. I don't, need, I don't need to be held responsible for any arguments that happen in the car ride on the way home, okay? But it is true, right? Not everyone who grows old grows up. I'm a prime example, right? Okay, see, me and my wife, Katie, we have two beautiful children, right? Two precious babies. They're going to put them on the screen there. Um, Jaden and Ava. Now, Jaden is our three-year-old. Yes. Uh, save your eyes for when you babysit them, okay? <laughs> babysit them and then come back and say some awes, right? Because uh, they're crazy, right? But anyway, we have two beautiful kids. And I, right before we had these kids, like, you can, like, I knew. I knew I was a man. Like, I just, I did manly things. You see, I lifted weights. You know, I would just walk around and grunt for no reason. You know, manly stuff like that. Now, once we had these kids, I knew, in fact, that I was not a man. Okay, see, when you spend more time crying in the fetal position than your kids, <laughs> usually a good indicator. You're not, you're not ready. You're not, you're not where you need to be. Now, no, so true. Like, right before we had Ava, our one-year-old, right, Katie was on bed rest at 30 weeks. Right? She had, Ava was trying to come early, of course, and, and she was having issues with her kidneys. She had kidney stones where she had to have this operation. And so literally, she was on bed rest. She could not move. She couldn't stand up for more than five minutes at a time. Like, it was crazy. Now, I'm working two jobs at the time, and I'm running home to chase around a two-year-old. So it is very chaotic, okay? My wife is unable to help. I am working two jobs, coming home, chasing our toddler around. The walls are literally closing in, literally. We lived in a bedroom apartment at the time. So when I say literally, like we ha we're having a new baby with nowhere to put the baby. Like you see my dilemma that was kind of, okay. So <laughs> all of this is going on, right? My wife is unable to do anything. And all I can think in the midst of all of that is, has anybody thought about me? I mean, <laughs> when did my family get so self-absorbed? Like, the nerve. Like, I'm the one doing everything. I, nobody's checking on me. Nobody. I, can't, I get it. My wife is pregnant. Cool. She knew that, though. She knew that coming in. <laughs> this is... Nobody has thought about... I digress. Um, anyway, uh, but you see, maturity was not where it needed to be. Okay. So, and I'm literally, I am spending my nights frustrated. I, I'm really, really frustrated. And I'm praying to God and I'm saying, God, would you just, would you just make my situation better? And all the while, I felt that God was saying, no, I'm going to use your situation to make you better. You see, there were some things in my, my perspective that needed to shift. See, I needed to realize that I was a husband now, and I was a father, and I had a family to protect and to provide for. My life just wasn't about me anymore. See, see uh, I had to be the sacrificial servant in my own home. That's what I was called to be. And that's what God was growing in me in, the, in that time of adversity. But see, when adversity came, when it started getting chaotic and the walls literally started to close in, I wanted to free myself. <laughs> I wanted to distance myself from the adversity. I wanted to shake it off and shrug it off. And I think there's a temptation for all of us spiritually. When adversity comes to try to do away, or in my sense, even pray away 
the very thing that God is intending to use to grow us up spiritually. See, when we do that, we stun our growth. And we all have future plans. God has future plans for all of us. And the adversity that we're facing right now is to groom us and to prepare us for that. So we don't need to shake it off. We don't need to just go through adversity. We need to grow through adversity. So before we head into the locker room for halftime, I think there's questions we all need to ask ourselves and God. God, what are the things in my life that I'm hoping and wishing that you would do away with, that you're intending to use to grow me spiritually? And he will reveal it to you. So I'm going to turn it back over to Matt and Travis, and you guys enjoy halftime. Well, as halftime draws to a close, let's take a look at our third quarter communicator, Steve Walton. Yeah, Steve Babyface Walton is our Sugarloaf Campus pastor. And did you know back in his college days, he was the coveted letter R at the University of Georgia in the student section. Which is quite possibly the most critical of all the letters, or else you're just left with University of Georgia. That makes no sense at all. <laughs> no sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Fortunately, while Steve might look young, he actually brings six years of experience to the 12 Stone stage, so he's the perfect person to kick off the second half. Let's join him here for the third quarter. So welcome, welcome to the third quarter. Now, uh, now Cameron was up here and he was representing us Falcons fans and the depression that we feel. And so I'm here to represent us Bulldogs fans, come on. And the depression that we feel as well. It is tough cheering for Georgia teams. It's like, it's like we cheer for the teams that do really good until it actually matters. That's kind of our deal. Uh, it actually reminded me of this Instagram post I saw. Shows all the Georgia sports teams that says, welcome to the pit of misery, dilly dilly. So there we are, that is us. I mean, look, look, if anyone understands adversity, it's us Georgia sports fans. We get it year after year after year. But you and I know that adversity doesn't just happen on the field, it, it happens in life too. And that's why Sean and Cameron kick things off in the first half by talking about adversity. And they've been leaning into the book of James and James actually describes adversity in our perspective on adversity and that our perspective on adversity can be a game changer. And so I wanna pick up right where Cameron left off. In fact, this is the very next verse, James chapter one, verse five, as James is talking about adversity, he says this. He says, so, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Make sense? You get it? Yeah, me neither. Woo, that's right. Honestly, the very first time that I, that I read that verse, I was like, I thought our friend James was a little ADD, you know? It's like James, James Focus, we were just talking about adversity, and now you start talking about wisdom. What on earth does wisdom have to do with adversity? But then the more you think about it, the more you realize that there actually is a connection between wisdom and adversity. See, you and I will seek wisdom when we don't know what we're doing and when we don't know what's going on. And adversity proves that we don't know what we're doing and we don't know what's going on, right? I mean, there is nothing like adversity to prove to us what everyone around us already knew, which is we don't have it all together. 
but we like to think that we have it all together until, until we bump up against adversity. And the moment that happens, whether we've caused it or whether someone else caused it, that's when we realize that we don't have the answers. That's when we seek wisdom. And many times, that's when we seek God. See, three years ago, my wife and I moved into our very first home, and like most new home buyers, I was at Home Depot every other day buying a bunch of tools I was probably never going to use, but they look really good in the garage, you know? And so I had this idea that I was going to redo the backsplash in our kitchen, and then I had this genius thought. I thought, hey, while I'm in there, why don't I go ahead and add in some under-the-cabinet lighting, you know, just some basic electrical work. I mean, how hard can that be? Like the guys on YouTube make it look so easy, you know? This is going to be a piece of cake. And if you're guessing that it didn't go well for me, you would be right. It did not go well for me. I was all the way through demolition, and no matter what I tried, we didn't have any electrical. In fact, this is what our kitchen looked like. Yeah, there we go. I did that myself. Aren't you proud? Yeah, my wife Catherine was pumped too. She loves it when there's a gigantic hole in our kitchen. That's like her favorite thing. And so here I am, I'm in the middle of adversity and I caused it, okay? It's clear that I don't know what I'm doing. And so I reached out for help. And the person that I reached out to was my dad. Because see, my dad used to be an electrician. And so I realized that if anyone would know what to do, he would know what to do. And so I call him on the phone and I'm frustrated and I'm also a little embarrassed because I couldn't figure it out on my own. And on the phone, he not only diagnoses what the problem is, but he gives me the solution. And here's, here's the crazy part. He did that on the phone while driving to Texas. Okay. This, yeah, this is like the definition of multitasking. He's crossing state lines and fixing my home at the same time. It's unbelievable. And so while I'm on the phone with him, he's recognizing that I'm clearly not getting it. And so at one point he said, hey, maybe you should get a sheet of paper and write this stuff down. And this is what I wrote down. You can tell I'm an artist. That's my other calling. And, uh, and so on the phone, he's telling me exactly what to do and which wires go where. And so I drew it out just like he said. And then I got off the phone with him. And then I followed those instructions to a T. And voila. Look at that. Let there be light, y'all. Yeah. I became a hero to my wife, you know? It's like our marriage is good now because we got light in the kitchen. But see, this all started when I admitted that I didn't know what I was doing and when I reached out to my dad for help. And for some of you right now, you're in the middle of adversity and you need to reach out to your heavenly dad for help. See, your heavenly father actually invites you to ask him for help. In fact, James says that God gives generously to all without finding fault. God wants you to ask him. In fact, many times adversity is God's invitation to go to him. See, God doesn't expect you to have all the answers. He doesn't expect you to have it all together, but he expects you to go to him. See, we put it this way in your notes. Faith it's not about being a perfect follower. Faith is about being a praying follower. It's not about making it look like you have it all together. It's about admitting that you don't and going to God, the one who does, have it all together. 
But see, that's, that's only half the equation. See, if I got on the phone with my dad, but I didn't write down anything he said, and I didn't do what he said, then our kitchen wouldn't look any different. See, I had to actually do the thing that my dad was asking me to do, which means for us, we need to do what God is actually calling us to do. See, later on, James actually talks about this kind of wisdom, and this is in your notes, says wisdom isn't just knowing what to do. Wisdom is applying what you know to do, which means it's not enough to just sit in a seat on Sunday morning. You actually have to do what God's asking you to do. And so your marriage, your family is not going to look any different simply by hearing another sermon. you got to actually go do what God is asking you to do. Which means you could wake up early in the morning and you could read scripture and you could pray. But if you're not following what God's asking you to do, there's not going to be any change as you're approaching adversity. See, when we're in adversity, God is inviting us in to not only ask him for help, but to do what he says. And so here's the two third quarter questions that I want you to wrestle with. The first one is, what is God asking you to do? See, maybe for some of you, you're in the middle of adversity and this is a question that you bring to your heavenly father. God, I don't know why I'm in this, but what do you want me to do? And the second question is, will you do what he says? See, because for some of you, it was a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago that God told you clearly what you needed to do, but you haven't done it yet. And so today, God's reminding you, saying, I want you to do that. That's for your good and for my glory. So will you do what he says? And when you do that, well, that leads us to the fourth quarter. That's the end of our third quarter, and what a fantastic job by Steve Walton kicking off the second half. He's given us a huge lead. It's almost like we're up 28 to three. There's no way we're gonna blow this one. It still hurts, doesn't it? It really does. Really sorry. Fortunately, we don't have Kyle Shanahan calling the plays for us in the fourth quarter. We have our senior pastor, Kevin Myers, who brings over 30 years of experience to the stage. Some might say he's the Bill Belichick of communicating. That's right, and although he may not be as comfortable on a football field, he is comfortable here on the stage at 12 Stone. No doubt, so we can't wait to see how he closes out this Super Bowl Sunday, so let's join Pastor Kevin Myers for the fourth quarter. Yes, welcome to the fourth quarter. And I'm gonna have Sean, Cameron, and Steve stand up. That was a strong first three quarters. Give it up for the guys, come on now. Awesome job, well done, man, well done. But here's what we know. In the NFL, games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. And it's in the fourth quarter that every player gets tired. See, that's where toughness shows up. That's where you need to dig down. That's where you got to gut it out. That's where endurance matters most. Yes, I'm wearing an Eagles jersey. Not because I particularly am a fan of the Eagles, but because I want the Patriots to lose. So out of curiosity, how many of you became Eagles fans just for this Super Bowl? Yeah. And I probably won't wear this jersey after this Super Bowl, but I'm wearing it all the way through the fourth quarter because I hope the Eagles endure. Now listen, 
James is talking about fourth quarter endurance in verse 12. Look at it on the screen. James chapter 1 verse 12. The man, the person who patiently endures the temptations and trials that come to him is the truly happy or blessed man. For once his testing is complete, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to all who love him. See, James is giving us some insight, two insights into fourth quarter endurance. The first is gut it out for good. You can jot this down in your notes, but we'll come back. The second is chase. Chase the trophy that lasts. Now listen, James is going after this because he knows we will all face fourth quarter fatigue in multiple areas of life. All of us cycle in fourth quarter fatigue in, in an area of life. Eventually we all hit it. And therefore eventually we will all need fourth quarter kind of endurance in order to win. So let's talk about gutting it out for good. See, every marriage cycles into fourth quarter fatigue. If you're married, you're gonna hit that multiple times where marriage is not fun, where it's not fulfilling, where you're frustrated, and where you really just sometimes wanna just, just vent, walk out the door, slam it. And that may make for great drama in a reality show, but that's a horrible life. And in, listen, in fourth quarter fatigue, is when you most need to gut it out for good. Listen, that's when you need to be most patient, most compassionate, most loving, to do the good, right thing. Gut it out for good. Every mom knows what mommy fatigue is. The endlessly crying baby, the tantrums of the two-year-old, the hundredth time you've corrected the four-year-old, the six-year-old, or cleaning up after the eight-year-old or the ten-year-old, or, or, or dealing with the disrespect of a teenager. You just want to disconnect, man. You just go ahead. Let's let, let the TV raise the kids. Let YouTube raise the kids. Let the culture raise the kids. But that's when you most need to gut it out for good. That's when you most need the patience and the kindness and the wisdom. That's most when a parent needs to discern the good and deliver because those are the families and parents that tend to win. Dick Wynn, actually the, he was the age of my parents, was a very kind mentor in my life. And he gave some advice that has been gold for me. He said, Kevin, this was my late 20s, early 30s, you're going to keep climbing mountains. You're going to try and get to the top because, because obviously summits are at the top of mountains. They're not in valleys. And when you do, you're going to get tired. I mean, you're going to get weary. You don't understand how weary you will get. Fatigue will come on you. That is part of the journey. And the thing you're most going to want to do when you get weary and fatigued is you're going to want to do something stupid. Listen, because in that moment, what it does is it releases pressure. So here's my advice. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> don't do anything what, church? Stupid. Couldn't hear you. Don't do anything what? Stupid. Well, yeah, don't do anything stupid. And that was it. That was the end of his advice. I'm, I'm like writing it down like, what? Yeah, don't think say, oh, my goodness. He said, see, because, Kevin, you're, you're going to want to quit on the good God right thing to do more times than you can imagine. Don't do anything stupid. See, people do a bunch of stupid little things that undermine the good life God has for them. We self-sabotage. 
So pray often and say, dear God, help me right now. At some of my most fatigued moments, not to do anything stupid. And we can. I mean, have you noticed? I mean, I, I can do discipline, financial discipline. I can do 18 months, set aside 10, the, 10% and, and put it in the bank in savings and start accumulating. But uh, 18 months down the road, I can have a moment of just frustration and I want to do something stupid. You can run the credit card. You can go buy more car than you want, buy something you don't need and blow all your progress. How many of you know that it's easier, it is easier to blow money than it is to build a savings account? How many of you know that? Of course it is. See, you're doing the smart stuff and then you do something stupid. We know that with the NFL. Guys get in the fourth quarter and they get tired and fatigued and then in a moment of just losing control, they throw the other guy down. And there gets the penalty. Unnecessary roughness. 15 yards. And it changes the momentum of the game. And all of us watch that like, yes, yeah, so stupid. And it is. <laughs> but see, you can be in the midst of peer pressure, join your friends and do something stupid. It'll cost you. You can be under pressure at work, say something stupid to your boss, a coworker, or a customer. It'll cost you. Don't do stupid. I think I was in my late 30s, I started meeting with some guys and some friends. I think, looking back, the reason we met was to help each other keep from doing something stupid. I mean, we had good lives. Good relationship with God, marriage, family, kids, career, things were good. But, but I didn't know a decade before that when you get that much good, but you bring it all together as a whole, that life can be suffocating. I'm amazed how often I want to do something stupid. And we just meet together like, man, it's not too stupid. It can happen in your faith. Faith can be fatigued. And that's why James is saying, trust God. Now you are in testing grounds, even if you're suffering for following Christ. And when you can't see what God is doing, what God is orchestrating, trust him. He is yet good. He will be good. And while you're at it, chase the trophy that lasts. When he talks about the crown of life, he's not talking about a king or queen crown. He's not talking about royalty. He's talking about athletes winning the Olympics. And they win the wreath that goes on their head, the crown. And they're celebrated in their hometown and all around the ancient territory. But everybody knows that in four years, that crown will have faded and so will their glory and somebody else will take over. So James is saying, chase the trophy that lasts. Figure out what lasts. God lasts. God's word lasts. His truth lasts. Jesus lasts. And James figured out what lasts. And he changed his life to chase what lasts. Listen, James, early on, did not believe Jesus was the son of God. He was his younger brother. I mean, can you imagine? He's growing up. He's got the same mom and dad. Mary and Joseph, how spectacular. And mom keeps saying, well, James, why can't you be more like Jesus, your older brother? I mean, can you imagine how annoying? Oh, he's so perfect. And, and he was. I mean, that's got to be annoying. So he grows up with a perfect older brother thinking, this cannot last. And finally, Jesus moves out. And he's like, yay. And then Jesus becomes famous in all of Galilee and Jerusalem. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm still in his shadow. This can't last. And it didn't. He got crucified. I mean, horrible. And he's like, oh, takes care of that. And then he had the audacity to rise from the dead. And there he is again. <laughs> and he finally figured out, this is the son of God. He lasts. And listen, when you figure out that Jesus lasts, you don't fight him, you follow him. 
Super Bowl rings fade. The crown of life is forever. What are you chasing? So let's wrap it up. Where in your life do you have fourth quarter fatigue? And James would say, don't do anything stupid. Pray, ask God to help you. And chase what lasts. Somebody's going to win Super Bowl rings today. I hope it's the Eagles. But no matter. It's, it's going to fade. You really can't help yourself, can you? You just, you just really can't help yourself. Would you chase what lasts? I now feel the need to pray either for me, for what I'm thinking, or for you. Let's bow our heads together because I think we need this. Lord, what fun to be part of your family, all at different stages of faith right now. And we love to laugh. And we don't take ourselves all that seriously, but God, we take you seriously. And we all have places where adversity is taking us out. It tramples us. And if we had a moment of honesty before you, we would say, gracious God, we need one of these lessons that we've learned in these four quarters. I don't know which one each of us need, but you'll apply it to our hearts right now if we'll attend to you. And say, God, would you, by the power of your spirit, put adversity under our feet. And may you do everything that James wrote about. May it become true in us. And may we carry a lightness and a strength unlike anything this world has seen. So they look at us and say, my goodness, what is different about you? And we get to say, Jesus, God, that lasts. Make it so in our lives in Christ's name. Amen.